The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. to the Nick and Nolan show a Buffalo rumblings podcast with your host Nick Bat. the prime minister of Sweden visited Washington today and my tiny little nipples went to France and Bruce Nolan yo brethren what up with thee Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. And along with me, as always, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. That's right. And this is a big week for us. This is an exciting week for, for our show and for you and I in particular, because the Bills are coming to our current what do we want to call this? This is our current geographical residence. Yeah, our current geographical residence. Sure, sure. I don't want to call it our home because that's, you know, sports fandom and all that kind of stuff. You kind of want to talk about home being where your team plays. I haven't even lived here that long. Yeah. I haven't even lived in Northeast Ohio that long. Yeah, I've been I've been here for well, I've been in Northeast Ohio for um goodness. Wow, it's actually been 13 years now I've been in Northeast Ohio, but I've only been in Cleveland for three and a half. How long have you been in Northeast Ohio? I got to Northeast Ohio in July of 2014. And this is as long as I have ever been in one house in my entire life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the reason that this is so exciting is because the Bills are coming to Cleveland to play the Cleveland Browns this week. And before we get into the rest of our podcast and the normal you know, conversation that we have and everything else, I want to take a moment and tell you guys about how you can jump into the already happening Bills festivities in the city of Cleveland this upcoming weekend. So, I am a founding member of the Cleveland Bills backers. It is a place where Bruce and I have watched many Bills games together. And it just so happens that this particular week, the Cleveland Bills backers are hosting a party on Saturday night at Southern Tier Brewing in Cleveland. So everyone knows, I think, Southern Tier Brewing, a brewery that's based out of the Southern Tier in in Western New York. Duh. And they've got a location here in downtown Cleveland, not far from the stadium and probably not far from all the hotels and stuff that you guys are going to be staying at. 
And this is a place where Saturday night, every single member of Bill's Mafia that is in town is welcome to come. We're going to be partying there from 6 p.m. until 11 p.m. Dell Reed from 26 Shirts is going to be there. We're reaching out to members of the Bill's Media and the beat writers that we know and asking them to come and, and mingle. I will be there. Bruce, I believe you have other commitments. I do have other commitments. That's that's a shame. So, unfortunately, you guys won't be able to uh, to powwow with Bruce, but I'll be there and I'll be happy to, to see any members of Bills Mafia that wants to come and hang out with me and the other guys from the Cleveland Bills backers and Bills fans from all over the world who are going to hopefully be here this Saturday. The best place for you guys to get information about all of the latest and the things that are going to be going on and recommendations for places to go from people who live here in Cleveland is going to be twofold. One is going to be at the Cleveland Bills Backers Facebook page. That's probably the best place to go. If on Facebook you just search Cleveland Bills Backers, you'll find us very easily. The other one is the Cleveland Bills Backers Twitter handle. A little bit less comprehensive information there just because of how Facebook versus Twitter works with the ability to put posts up and everything. But head over there, give us a follow, and uh, if you have any specific questions or whatnot, shoot them our way, shoot us a direct message. We are at your service, and we're so happy that you're going to be here with us this upcoming weekend. So, that's out of the way. (laughs) Now we can move on to the rest of the Nick and Nolan show and talk about the rest of the conversation topics that we have for you, our wonderful listeners. Bruce, you made a uh, request that we talk about being halfway through the season and sort of reflecting on where we are. You thought it was a good point to actually do some awards. Yeah. I think that doing awards at the end of the year is a cool thing. I think we should do that, too. Doing awards in the middle of the year allows you to give out predictive awards, awards to what you think will happen based on what you have. So it's a kind of a fun dynamic to be able to both give out awards for something that has happened and give out awards predictively because it's fun to see if you're right. So instead of doing what we are affectionately calling the Rumblies, After the year and only after the year, we're going to do the Rumblies mid-season. So these are the mid-season Rumblies, and I'm excited to get started. I'm excited to do it with you. So we have got seven categories of Rumbly Awards that we're going to be giving out. And these categories are intended to be a little bit different, a little bit off the beaten path, because I actually have no idea if any of our peer podcasts on the Buffalo Rumblings Network might be interested in doing something similar on their show. And we don't want to stop them from doing that at all. They should go ahead and do that. We're going to leave out things that are pretty common, like MVP and most valuable acquired offseason player and stuff like that. Most valuable offensive player, most valuable defensive player, rookie stuff. We're not going to go that route. We're going to go a little bit more... uh, Nick and Nolan-esque, I suppose. I don't even know what that means. No one knows what it means, but it's provocative. So we've got, let's see, the first two, a lot of these are connected. There's like, there's there's a, a positive version of the award and then there's a negative version of the award. So the first one is the undeservingly criticized the most undeservingly criticized award. So the person who's taken the most heat, and maybe we don't uh, we don't think that that's totally warranted. The next one is the most undeservingly praised player. So same story, just on the other end. The most improved player, 
the least improved player, the starter who is most likely to be benched before season's end, the backup who is most likely to be promoted before season's end. And I don't think we're going to tr- we're going to try to not make those the same, you know, the the person who would be replacing the person we think is going to get benched and vice versa. More of a who's a guy that deserves to who's maybe playing in such a way that he is going to lose playing time and who's a guy that's playing so well that he's going to gain playing time, not necessarily just because the guy above him is doing poorly. And then we have the unsung hero. That's a pretty common one. A lot of people do the unsung hero, but I like uh I think we have some interesting some interesting comments on those. Do you want to start at the top? Yeah, let's start at the top, and I'm going to have some interesting thoughts on these first two. Do you want to go first, or you want me to go first? You go first. Undeservingly criticized. The undeservingly criticized award. So my undeservingly criticized award, I believe, is going to go to... I'm going to let you probably fight this battle, because I think you're more hot under the collar than even I am about it. But mine is going to be Ed Oliver, because Ed Oliver is getting some flack for his draft position, the excitement that came with the Bills getting him because of how much people think that he's going to contribute. But he has one sack. He is not getting on the stat sheet in in the way that I think people want, especially considering he's a three-technique defensive tackle, which is the defensive tackle that is responsible for more of a penetration pass rush style player and is supposed to wreak more havoc and cause issues on the interior for quarterbacks. He has one sack. It's against a wide receiver on a trick play. So that's the common talking point for Ed Oliver. You've been getting into it with people. I have. So you want to you want to take it from there? There's there, there's I've summarized their perspective. You go ahead and, and talk your heart out. We are a year and a half into Josh Allen's career. And we are still having the discussion that he's learning and he's growing. We are eight games into Ed Oliver's career, and we're ready to label him a bust and say that if we hadn't, if we were to redraft the 2019 draft, Ed Oliver wouldn't go top 10. Or we're willing to start manipulating the definition of what a top 10 player is. We're manipulating the definition of elite. We're manipulating lots of definitions to try to deal with the fact that we're upset at Oliver for not stepping in and being a dominant force right away. There's a lot of reasons why he wouldn't be. He comes from a lesser level of competition. He was an underclassman. He has notably lackluster size that creates a margin of error on technique that is very slim. If Ed Oliver screws up his technique, he gets thrown to the right because he's not able to utilize the explosion and power that he wants to because his technique is off. His technique can be off every single play in the American Athletic Conference, and it won't matter. If his technique is off for a split second in the NFL, he'll get buried. In addition to that, he plays a notoriously long-developing position in defensive tackle. The fact that the same people who tell me that it's too early to criticize Josh Allen at all also tell me that we should label Ed Oliver disappointment at this point is absolutely flabbergasting. It's not binary. It's not like, well, if you're quarterback, we give you three years, and if you're not, we expect immediate impact. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. 
What about wide receivers drafted in the top five? Lots of them long developing positions. Defensive tackles drafted in the top five. It's not like running back. You and I had a discussion during the draft about how you shouldn't season, don't need to season a running back. There's basically no examples of a running back who took a year to figure his crap out and then burst onto the scene second year. There's almost no examples of that because that's not the way running backs work. But that's the way lots of positions do. Tight end works that way. Defensive tackle works that way. Pass rusher doesn't necessarily work that way. Edge rusher. Linebackers notoriously take eh, about half a year or so and then usually come on stronger in the back half of their first year. Tremaine Emmons did. Cornerbacks, depending on the level of cornerback, a lot of them can step right in. If it's someone who's a man cornerback going into a man scheme, a lot of those people can come right in. Why on earth do we not give Ed Oliver any time at all? It's not like he's a bum. Watch the film. Ed Oliver is blowing up guys and coming inches away from making huge plays, and it just hasn't landed for him yet. I do not understand where this narrative came from. I think it came from the fact that we're seeing Jordan Phillips make big plays, and we're like, well, come on, why can't Ed Oliver do that? Hello? Hello, McFly? McFly? Hello? Hello? Anybody home? Hey, think McFly. Think. Jordan Phillips doing well year three is further proof of my point. That he's developing and he's, Jordan Phillips is a player now that he never was when he was with Miami. And he wasn't last year either. But it's year three and he's developing. Did you look at Kyle Williams his first year? Well, he wasn't a top 10 player. No, but it's the point is not that he wasn't a top 10 player. The point is that defensive tackle is a long developing position, even if you draft them in the top 10. The fact that you draft somebody in the top 10 doesn't override the fact that their position is a long developing position. That doesn't like, well, you know, quarterback is a long developing position. But because we drafted in the top 10, now we, you know, that goes out the window. Either you have a long development curve on the position because of the transition to the NFL, or you don't. Quarterbacks are long developing positions. Defensive tackles are long developing positions. Running backs are not. If you draft a running back in the top 10 and he comes in and doesn't play well for the first eight games, I'll give you that. Okay, I will. Because I've gone on record as saying running backs don't need to be seasoned. But there are examples literally everywhere of defensive tackles. Can I, can I give you some? Sure. Our, our friend uh, Joe Marino. Joe Mar- he, okay, he, so funny story. So I'm having this discussion. Joe Marino jumps in to my mentions with a list of all these people and their stats in the first eight games, right? Yeah. And I love it, okay? And in my head, I hear Jim Ross, the WWE announcer, going, by God, that's Joe Marino's music. <laughs> what the hell is this, JR? What the hell is this? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's Jim Ross. <laughs> right, he's all coming in the off, off the top buckle, like you know, me and this guy are in the middle of a yeah, match, yeah. and then all of a sudden, Joe's, yeah, Joe just Joe runs comes charging down the charging down the ramp, right? Dives in, hits somebody with a chair. Yeah, instead of carrying a folding chair, he's carrying just these these history history stats, right? Of okay, so here's just brilliant. Yeah, here's who we got. So we've got. I'll go. I'll go from. I think. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go from, I think, who the least elite, quote unquote, example to the most elite example. OK, so so let's go with Fletcher Cox first. Fletcher Cox in his first eight games, 16 tackles, one sack. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> OK, Gerald McCoy. 
First eight games, 14 tackles, zero sacks. Cool, 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 cool. J.J. Cool. Watt, it's just different. he's an end, 3-4 end. Yeah, he was a 3-4 So end. it's a little bit different responsibility, but 26 tackles, only two sacks. Now we're getting into a couple guys who I think are in the, in the ballpark. Geno Atkins. Who I compared at Oliver yeah, to. This is, this is your preference to compare at Oliver Correct. to. Five tackles, one half sack. So that went well. <laughs> yeah. Gino First Atkins. eight games for Geno Atkins. And then Aaron Donald, the the guy who everybody was was trying to project at Oliver to be, right? Which we you and I talked about you, pre-draft. You, you, completely unfair. Yeah, not not you're not into that. But no, I, absolutely I, not. Okay, here for okay. That. Aaron Donald. First eight games, twenty tackles, one sack. Okay, so the the, the, the no response would be, well, yeah, well, they were starting. Yeah, well, so was at Oliver. Well, you know, they started for 13 games their rookie season. They made an impact. They were plug-and-play guys. Well, at, at, at what Oliver, is that, Oliver? Not How is that, Oliver? Not that. And Oliver started. The only reason he didn't start this game is because Jordan Flamepill was playing out of his freaking mind. Yeah. I don't, like, just, I don't understand. I just don't get it. I do not understand. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I do not understand how you can be this upset. About Ed Oliver. I just don't get it. I, we have tons of data that says you shouldn't be upset. We have all the things we just gave you. We have Kyle Williams. We have all these examples of defensive tackles being long development. Not everybody's in Dominican Sue, who like opened his career with 10 sacks. Not everybody's that. There and, are far more examples. And, and he has, I would say he's had less staying power than these other guys. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, so I mean, yeah, okay. I'm not gonna. That's fine. I think the the point is, we, he's, undeservedly he's, criticized. He's dead already. He's dead already. Let's that's, just let's just let it go. He's dead already. Okay. <laughs> he's already dead. Okay, I'm gonna do. Do you want to do the uns? You want to do yours first? You want to do? You want me to do both of mine, and then you're gonna do both of yours, or do you want me to do? You want to do yours now, and then I'll I'm do. I'm gonna do mine now. Okay, go ahead. So this is Bruce's undeservingly criticized. Josh Allen. For the exact same reason I just mentioned. So before the draft in 2018, even the most ardent Josh Allen supporters, which, mind you, I was not. I was not a Josh Allen supporter. Reminder, Josh Allen was QB6 for me. I had him ranked behind Mayfield, Rosen, Darnold, Rudolph, Jackson, Allen, in that order. So they said, wow, gosh, this guy, he might need a year or two of sitting or development before he goes, like you're basically just taking all. He has all the tools, all of them. There isn't a single thing he this guy cannot do. But you basically have to just rebuild him from the ground up. You have to tear down everything that you're working with, and you just you know you got good bones. He's a good kid. He's going to be a good leader. He's got all the intangibles. He's got the mental makeup for it. He's got the fortitude. He's got the size. He's got the arm strength. He's got the toughness. He's got like all this stuff. He's smart, right? High wonderlick. Everyone talks about how great he was on the whiteboard. So. You're basically just got to build a quarterback out of these pieces and parts that we're giving you. And then here we are. 19 starts. Is that right? Is that where we are now? I think we're at eight. He just had his 18th start. Is it? Okay. It's, It's right around there. It's right around 18 starts. 18, 19. Yeah. And we're losing our ever living minds. I I don't. Well, it doesn't make any sense. We said think about think about last year too. Here's some context. Think about whatever development he had last year. 
when he started this started the year, here was his supporting cast: David Cully, cool, cool, <laughs> Nathan Peterman, AJ McCarron. That is that that that. How much can you blame him <laughs> for not making a for not making a significant amount of progress early? You took the quarterback who needed the most help and gave him the least help. Yeah, really. That's cool. yeah. I mean, that's Josh Allen. I mean, the fact is, he. I mean, he played it at junior college. Went to Wyoming. He is, you know, this is his second year. I I, I don't know. He's again to me, almost on a weekly basis. I will see cut up clips of Allen. Even particular points in the game, even if they are cherry picked, I will I will yield to you that they're cherry picked. They still exhibit that his floor is continuously higher than I thought his floor would be or could be. And that's that's great. That that is progress. He is raising the floor every week. I don't think that we're getting a ton of clarity about his ceiling each week, which is a little mm, it's a little unsettling. That's I think that's part of what the problem is. But I, I I'm fully on board. I think this is a great nominee or a great awardee. Josh Allen's Rumbly. Josh Allen, you get the Rumbly. If you're for, listening, Josh. Josh we'll Allen have a Rumbly and, made for you and made yeah, it to you. Josh Allen and Ed Oliver are the the Rumbly awardees for the most undeservingly criticized Bills in the first eight games of the 2019 season. Okay, let's go to undeservingly praised undeservingly praised i am going to go with jordan phillips and i'm going to go with jordan phillips although i like jordan phillips i want us to re-sign jordan phillips i think that jordan phillips is is playing well um he has some significant issues in the run game and because he's getting sacks i don't know that everybody fully appreciates how he is, it seems to be occasionally, or more than occasionally, maybe regularly, abandoning his responsibility on his gap integrity in an attempt to penetrate and get the quarterback. He's playing every play like it's a run, like it's a passing down. Kind of like he would probably be ideal in like a Jim Schwartz, Jim Schwartz uh, wide nine defensive line because isn't Schwartz's saying play the run on the way to the quarterback, right? So. That's kind of how Jordan Phillips is playing. I don't know that's exact. I don't think that's exactly what he's being asked to do in this circumstance. Now he's making plays, and they're big plays. I mean, I think it was the Miami game, right, where he drove them back right before Trey White's interception at the goal line, which sort of helped us win that game. I mean, there's that's not really debatable. So Jordan Phillips is playing playing great. At the same time, I think that he's almost being praised as if he's. He's not doing anything wrong. He's just playing out of his mind. And I think that there are things to mm, that he still needs to sure up. And now he 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 took playing time away from Matt Oliver. So I think that that narrative, whenever fans are just sort of hearing little bits and pieces of facts about what's happening, it's it's moving that needle even more in a certain direction. And I just want to say, take a deep breath and understand he's not doing everything everything perfectly. Jordan Phillips's game against Washington was really good. Jordan Phillips's game against Philadelphia was not amazing. He's part of the reason. It's not the, you know, we have a tendency to latch on to people. I said last week, we latch on to Star Latulule. He's the problem with the run defense. Not really all the time. Sometimes he is. Sometimes it's Jordan Phillips. And so we can't be critical of those things, the traits, 
and those actions in Star Latulule and then not be critical of those same actions in someone else just because we like the fact that he sacks people occasionally. That's intellectually dishonest. He's going to be a pro bowler. I bet you he's a pro bowler because whenever you vote for the pro bowl, you look at the stat numbers, you look at the stat numbers and that's what NFL.com gives you. Someone's going to give him a ridiculous contract in the offseason and he's going to be really excited about it. And he, he, I'm excited about it because he he's a guy who really appreciated Bill's Mafia. I don't think I've ever seen a player pump his arms up in the air at a home game more than Jordan Phillips. Swing his arms up going, come on, guys, let's do it. Let's get on your feet. And he he was the guy with the freaking cleats with the broken tables on him. I yeah. love Jordan Phillips. He was the guy who, when he re-signed here in the offseason, he said, Buffalo resurrected my career. They should get to reap the rewards. I love Jordan Phillips. Please do not misunderstand this. I love Jordan Phillips. You on board with my, with my assessment of him, though? Absolutely. Okay, good. good. He's just not a finished product yet. He has things. We, we don't mean he shouldn't be praised. We mean he is praised more so than he should be. Yeah. That's what this award is for. It's not about someone who shouldn't be praised. It's about someone who's being praised disproportionately. Disproportionately. Yeah. Okay. And I think it's fair. Yep. You're undeservingly praised. Josh Allen. <laughs> That's, I don't know that this, okay. I'll let you defend yourself. So he gets two rumblies. He gets two rumblies. He gets undeservingly praised. And he gets undeservingly criticized. I just talked about why he gets undeservingly criticized. He also gets undeservingly praised. I just said that we're a year and a half into someone who I would consider to be an extremely long developing quarterback. Does that mean we can't notice flaws or warts without someone yelling us down with the fact that he's half in? I'm not saying he's a bust. No one's saying he's a bust. We're saying he needs to do this better. Or he played a bad game. You and I talked about this earlier this year. Josh Allen played like garbage, and that's okay. But goodness gracious, we're afraid. We 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 want to pawn off our stuff on Zay Jones, and then we ship him out of town. That'll make that'll make Josh Allen better. Zay Jones isn't here anymore. Well, the fact of the matter is, if you say right now that Josh Allen is the guy, he is one hundred percent the guy right now. I don't know what to tell you. Who's if you want to say you think he's going to become the guy based on trajectory, I'm 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 all listening to that. But there is absolutely no evidence of what he has already done that indicates he is the guy. We don't know that. So you cannot call him a bust a year and a half in. You can't. You also cannot call him the guy a year and a half in. Both of those things are true simultaneously. And I have people in my mentions every week who fall on both ends of the spectrum. People who cannot handle Josh Allen criticism without yelling you down with something else. And also someone who literally cannot handle Josh Allen positively without with a yeah but. Well, you know. These are the guys who compare Josh Allen to Tyrod. The people who say, well, if I wanted an athlete who was going to throw for 180 yards a game, I would just gotten Tyrod. There's a lot of Trubisky comparisons now. Yeah. I can see that. Um, Joe Biscalia and Matthew Fairburn just had a long conversation about a Ryan Tannehill comparison. Mm-hmm. I can see that too. And the ironic thing about this is Ryan Tannehill has been playing his mind out since he started for Tennessee. 
Was it Adam Gase? Well, is Adam Gase the reason that Ryan Tannehill sucked? Yeah. I mean, like, we have to start considering this concept that maybe Ryan Tannehill's a decent NFL quarterback and Adam Gase is just horrible. Because maybe. Sam Darnold looks like garbage all of a sudden. Maybe it's not the uh, maybe it's not the Ryan Tannehill conundrum. Maybe it's the Adam Gase conundrum. Bum bum bum. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Most improved player. Why don't you go ahead and do the first for this most improved player this season? Deion Dawkins. Nobody has said a word about Deion Dawkins all year long, aside from a mac and cheese reference. That's awesome. Can we just talk about that? There were questions. How quickly we forget. You and I were having a discussion as to whether or not we should draft a new left tackle. And move him inside. And move him inside. Right now, when we were coming up on the trade deadline, I specifically said, I don't know if you go get Trent Williams. The narrative changed from, I think we might need to take Andre Dillard or Jonah Williams at number nine, to, nah, I don't think I need Trent Williams. Really? We're not going to talk about this? We're not going to talk about the fact that Deion Dawkins went from, hey, we should replace him and move him to guard, to, you know, I don't want that all-pro left tackle. I think I'm okay. I'm happy with what I got. Most improved, unbelievably quiet. I, this is hard, I, I, I'm going to go with Tremaine Edmonds, although I think Trey White should be in there, because the one caveat with Trey White's game was turnovers in big plays, and he has been providing them this year. Very grateful for that. However, it's not like he was a bum last year. Now, Trey Edmonds, I wouldn't say was a bum last year, but there, at the very beginning the first, of the year... The first part of the year, yeah, he was very, kind of a bum. That's, that San Diego game was pretty rough for him. So, I'm going to go with Trey Edmonds. He has made a lot of progress. I think that he's been suffering these last couple of weeks, not because of necessarily his own inability, but because the defensive line in front of him has been leaving him in pretty compromised positions. So if the Bills actually do figure out how to address that in some way and make some make some meaningful progress, I am excited at the prospect of seeing Tremaine Edmonds be a beast again. I think he has been a beast in numerous games this year. I think that he is understanding the game. He's taken on the leadership uh, responsibilities. He has become more responsible for the players around him. Uh, Micah Hyde, I think, takes a lot of that responsibility as well. But Tremaine Edmonds has taken a huge step forward as far as being the leader of the defense, and he's an incredible specimen, and he's putting it together, and it's exciting to watch. So he is my most improved player. Inside linebackers in a 4-3 defense are markedly different types of players who are asked markedly different things than inside linebackers in a 3-4 defense. Inside linebackers in a 3-4 defense are people who still need to shed blockers more often than you'd think. They have to be able to shed blockers more often than you think because the expectation is occasionally the guards will get to the second level. That's just the way it is. Well, your your, your nose tackle is not going to take up three blockers. Right. And you have have five techs, your three, four defensive ends, your five techniques, who are most of the time going to be two-gapping. Wade Phillips has a a one-gapping three, four defense. It's very unique, um, which you see with, with Los Angeles, the Rams right now. But... Generally speaking, inside linebackers, people you think would be like David Harris from the New York Jets. Remember him? 
he's a 3-4 inside linebacker who's going to stack and shed a lot more. 4-3 inside linebacker, because there's only one in a 4-3 defense, right? They're still supposed to be able to, I mean, they're going to occasionally get a blocker on them and they're going to have to, to shed. But as a general rule, they should be getting tied up less because you're having one more person on the line of scrimmage, one less linebacker, which means the probability of an inside linebacker getting hit by a guard at the second level is less. That's just basic math probability. But Tremaine Edmonds shouldn't be someone with a guard in his face all the time. If he is, something went wrong up front. And I'm not saying that he's not responsible. He has made some bad gap decisions the last couple of weeks. But one of the reasons he has made bad gap decisions is because the defensive tackles weren't where they're supposed to be. Also, Matt Milano is not, you know, flawless when it comes to this kind of stuff. He's made some bad decisions as well. But they wouldn't have to make bad decisions. They would have been put in those positions if the defensive line was playing better. Okay, before we continue on with the next award, we're going to take a quick break because this is running a little long. We'll be right back with you, and then we will jump back into uh, the rest of these awards. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show. Without further ado, I'm Nick Bat. I'm Bruce Nolan. We're going to go ahead and continue on with the conversation about these awards that we are giving out here mid-season. The Rumblies. Who is your least improved player? I'm going to go with Matt Milano. Well, that's an easy <laughs> that's an easy segue. Not because Matt Milano is not a good player. That's not what this award is. This award is for least improved player. This is not an award for bad player. Matt Malone is a very good player that I would like us to resign, please. But he hasn't taken the next step. He had a good he, he had a great year last year. I mean, it's hard to hard to top that, really. And really, it's a lot of this is splashy plays. Matt Milano hasn't made the splashy plays that he did last year, and he's made some mistakes in run defense this year. That doesn't mean Matt Milano is a bad player. It means he's not an improved player overall based on what we're seeing on the field. So my opinion is that I'm going to give that award to Matt Milano. I, this is very easy for me. The answer to that question for the least improved player this year is Trent Murphy. And all of the hope that we had as a fan base that Trent Murphy and Ed Oliver were going to fix our pass rush situation. Ed Oliver... At, 
first eight games has been comparable to his peers, his very good peers, at their first eight games in the league. So it doesn't mean that Ed Oliver isn't still going to make an impact. He has not moved the needle to the extent that maybe we were daydreaming he could at the beginning of the year. And we thought that that Ed Oliver would help Jerry Hughes. Well, we also said what would help Jerry Hughes would be to get a significant, you know, a significant performance on the other side of the line, which was going to be from Trent Murphy, two years removed from his injury. All you know, the soft tissue stuff wouldn't be such an issue. Blah blah blah. To my knowledge, Trent Murphy is healthy as a horse. I don't think he's been on the injury report once that I've seen. Dude is not. Um, he is not a. He is nothing that's keeping any opposing coaches or linemen up at night. He is a rosterable NFL player. He is not terrible. No, not at all. But he has not taken any sort of significant step forward as far as his performance this year compared to last year. He was inches away from getting a sack on Dwayne Haskins, and I wonder if that would change our, our opinion of this right now. Well, he has he has one or two sacks, and he got. He got a sack on uh, on Haskins coming out, you know, when he was running out of bounds. Uh, but there, he put a, a pretty decent spin move. I actually, believe it or not, I actually kind of like Trent Murphy's spin move. I've seen it a couple times this year, and it's actually it's actually pretty good. But we needed him to take a step into six to eight stat sack sort of territory. He's got one, and he's got one. So we needed him to take that sort of step, and he didn't quite get where we wanted him to go. Well, he had four sacks last year. He's actually on pace to do less this season than he did last season when he's another year removed from his injury and a year where he doesn't have nagging soft tissue injuries. I recognize that sacks are a incredibly quick and dirty stat to determine pass rush, and that's not the way it works. But even looking at film and looking at pressure rate and things like that, um, he's just not improving the way that we'd like him to. That doesn't mean he's not a rosterable NFL player. That doesn't even mean he's going to be gone next year because Shaq might be gone next year, and I wouldn't want us to get rid of Shaq and Murphy well, Murphy's and try only, and bring in... Murphy's under contract. Right. So we would have to cut him. We'd, we would, have, cut we'd him. have to move on. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't just have to not resign him. So Man, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a proponent. I'm not sitting here banging the table saying cut Trent Murphy. That's not what I'm doing. Because I don't know what the alternative is. You have to give me a value proposition to be able to determine that. Um, but I don't think Shaq will be here next year. But I think the fact that Shaq's not likely to be here is probably the reason why you end up keeping Murphy. Trent is not Trent is not a problem no. on the other end of the line. No. But Trent is not a difference maker yes. on the other end of the line. And that is why, for me, he gets my least improved award. Sure. So, Okay, next category. Starter most likely to be benched. Cody Ford. Cody Ford has started at right tackle and has rotated in and out. Ty and Seki played the entire game against Washington. And it was so obvious, dude. It was so obvious how much better Ty and Seki is. Maybe this is wistful thinking on my part. It's clearly not a load management. You and I opined that it might be a load management issue for Ty Inseki. Uh There was no problem with Ty Inseki. Yeah, he might have had a knee thing, but he seems to be over it now. And Cody Ford was the starter at right tackle. And I really don't see 
how you can look at this objectively and not have Ty and Seki be the starter at right tackle moving forward. So we're going to do the next one is going to be the backup most likely to be promoted. So there's a player I'm thinking of here, but I'm not going to do it because it's more about the, the good performance of the guy behind him rather than it is about this guy not performing well. So the only player who comes to mind that I think potentially could lose time to the guys behind him would be Levi Wallace. I think that if Levi Wallace continues to get picked on and it causes a problem, I wouldn't say that it has caused a problem yet, but if it does, Kevin Johnson's a very intriguing option in your back pocket to say, go out there. Let's see. Let's see how this goes. Let's just try this for a series or two. Let's try this, you know, against this number two receiver. You know what I mean? And Levi Wallace will play, I don't know, just more of a matchup role in, in particular games. I don't, I'm not campaigning for that. Um, but if I have to pick somebody that's not Cody Ford because you took you know a, a slam dunk of a of a of a nominee there. Well, when you let me go first, I'm going to take the low hanging. That's fruit. fine. You can do that. That's fine. I think Levi Wallace is in this category. I think he's. I think it's not out of left field. I think that if Kevin Johnson started getting significant run at corner, I think we'd all be like, oh, that's kind of a bummer because Levi gives us a prospect of a long term solution there. But uh, I, I I wouldn't be shocked if we saw Kevin Johnson get some outside run. That wasn't a result of injury. Backup most likely to be promoted. I'm going to go first because I don't know who you're going to take. Who you're going to say? So I'm going to take this one. I'm going to say Singletary. Is that who you were going to say? See, you go first. You take the low. That's right. That's what you do. I have got to put the other person in a bad position. I I have another one, but I don't like it as much. Do you have another one? If you don't have another one, I can I can let you have Singletary and you can talk about it. No, go ahead. Well, I mean, Singletary, I don't know what the issue was with not feeding him earlier in the year. Now, last, not against the Redskins, two weeks ago against Philly, we, is that right? Yeah. We gave him a lot of snaps. And there may have been plays that were designed to go to him, but for one reason or another, Philly took that away. And so he just didn't see the ball. Now we have additional evidence, additional data that show us the difference maker that he is and or can be when given the opportunity to do so. I would be very surprised if we do not start to see the inverse split of playing time from what we have seen Thus far, with Frank Gore getting the majority of the carries and Devin Singletary taking the leftovers and seeing instead Singletary being the primary with Frank Gore as the seasoning to uh, give a more well-rounded backfield. All right. I'm down. I think that Frank Gore passing the torch this year to Singletary is reasonable. I'm not even necessarily against Frank Gore being around next season, depending on how this se- how this year finishes out. Me neither. I don't want to run him into a brick wall four times in a row on one yard situations. I would be okay with doing other things with him um, or using him as perhaps a decoy in those moments rather than actually just doing it. He serves that role, but 
you know, whenever you have a situation where you've got evidence to show that there is a stout problem in the middle on the offensive side of the ball, it's okay to go a different direction. It's okay. So, but I think that Frank Gore can continue to play a, a meaningful role in this backfield. If we were to change out TJ Yeldon, for example, for you know an, another player um, who brings another complementary skill set, if we were so inclined. Okay, so we're on backup, most likely to take on more playing time. And I can't use Kevin Johnson, <laughs> and I can't use Devin Singletary. Well, would you say that Kevin Johnson has played himself into more playing time, or would you say Levi Wallace has struggled his way to potentially seeding playing time? I'd say Levi Wallace has struggled his way. Okay, well then he was in the right category. Okay. yeah. I'm going to go with Corey Legion. I don't even know who that is. We literally just signed him today. (laughs) And he is a defensive tackle. And I have always had a strange soft spot for Corey. And I think that I was a fan of his earlier in his career. What's his his background deal? So he was a first-round pick from the Chargers in 2011. Oh, so he's like an eight-year, he's an eight- or nine-year guy. Okay. Yeah, I think he's 29. So he's not old by any means. He's 29. He played the five tech, the three, four defensive end tech when he was with the Chargers. But then when he played with the Raiders, he played one tech. So he plays Starla Tulele's spot. I think that this is a let's find Harrison Phillips move. And if Harrison Phillips was here, I would put him in this spot right here, saying he would probably eat into Star's playing time as the year went on. But I think Corey Lynch is a, a, a clear upgrade over Vincent Taylor, who we had. So I wouldn't be surprised to see us cut Vincent Taylor and have him go back down. He only played nine snaps, I think, last game. Cut him and have him go back to the practice squad. But then again, we play in for that for Pecco, too, probably, and he got picked up by the Colts. So I think Corey Legit, if he can be Harrison Phillips... I think you'll start to see him pick up time at the expense of Star. The guy who I had in mind that maybe was going to be somebody I would I would reach for in this situation would be Saran Neal. Because I was very pleased with how Saran Neal played at nickel this at the beginning of this year when Taron Johnson was down. Taron Johnson has not played poorly at all. He's been fine since he came back. He's a little bit less of the missile that he was, which is probably a good thing for his longevity. But Saran Neal... You know, it's interesting because we're, we're struggling so much in the run defense, and we haven't been playing a ton of Sean McDermott's trademark big nickel. We have not. I mean, Dean Marlowe's gotten some run. Boy, Dean Marlowe was right there. Which I guess, you know, maybe that he was doing that. But it's just so curious to me that, that Dean Marlowe was getting run over Saraniel whenever Saraniel had a strong start to the season. And he's a pretty sure tackler. He's pretty good in run defense. He's good size. And if you wanted to put eight in the box, but you wanted to still be flexible, more flexible than having Lorenzo Alexander on the field, which I think it oftentimes is desirable, especially with our defensive line woes. I'm I'm fine with saving Lorenzo's energy and his reps, whatever he can give you, and saying go spend it against this you know guard or this ta- this tackle. You saw that a lot against Washington. You uh, the only time you would see Lorenzo Alexander you know inside was on third and nine, you know against Washington, and so that makes sense. I think for. For a Saran Neal discussion, the question is really not are we struggling against the you know the run game. 
why are we struggling against the run game? I think if we were struggling against the run game because Taron Johnson was getting obliterated on the edge, I think we would put in Saran Neal. But Taron Johnson's a better cover man than Saran Neal. And so I think that's a matter of looking at the film and going, okay, we're struggling against the run. Why are we struggling against the run? And correctly diagnosing the issue as being predominantly a defensive line problem. And then the defensive line problem is then trickling into your linebackers. Okay, that's fine. Last award, and then we will take a break and come back and go into the narratives. Last award we have is the unsung hero. Unsung hero. Now, I don't think we're on the same page with this, so I think it's fine if one of us... You want to go first? You want me to go first? You go first. Steven Hauschka. Steven Hauschka. Now, it's probably easy to say him, but nobody is talking about Steven Hauschka, and that's one of those things, much like Deion Dawkins, when you're not talking about it, it's because they're not causing you any problems. We have won games this year because the other teams have had the, well, we've potentially won games. I always get a little bit, yeah, I always get a little frustrated when people talk about how we would have lost such and such game if such and such kicker had made a kick. If it's not as time expires, if it's in the middle of the game or, you know, in the third quarter or whatnot, I don't always feel that way because whenever the position in which you are in changes with the margin of the lead you have, it typically can affect the kind of offensive game plan that you have because you know whether or not you want to chew clock or whether or not you want to, you're worried about giving the ball back to them or you need the urgency to put points on the board. It doesn't exist consistently at all times. Maybe it should, but it doesn't. Yeah, it changes. It, it trickles into everything else. Yeah. So... It, People have been complaining about the Tennessee game. I think against the Giants, too. Didn't they miss a kick or something like that? Or no, not the Giants. Against the Bengals or something. Somebody missed a kick in another game or two kicks. And people were saying, we don't deserve to be 6-2 and two because of blah, blah, blah. Stephen Hauschka, nope, no issues. No, he is, the extension that he got is well-deserved. He's reliable. I feel very, very comfortable with him going out there. He, you know, always a little thing that makes me uneasy, and, and I'm afraid I'm, we're going to get snake bit by, are the extra points when those don't go. And we haven't had any issues with that that are on him. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm very grateful to have Steven Hauschka. I think he is somebody that we don't appreciate enough whenever we take we think about the team at, in, in full. When we kick a field goal, everybody's all jokes and happy for five minutes about Stephen Hauschka, Hausch money, blah, 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 blah. That should be a simul, like a, a, a continuous attitude of appreciation we should have for him at all times. My unsung hero really depends on your definition of unsung. And so I'm going to have to break down unsung, right? Unsung, in the basic form of the words, is someone who is not being sung the praises of unsung so instead of someone who is sung it's someone who is unsung duh and so i'm gonna go someone who basically got no attention once the season actually started and got tons of attention before the season started and that's mitch morse mitch morse was a hot topic of conversation because of the concussion protocol during the preseason and then once this regular season got here nothing happened well, let's start with what Mitch Morse is not. Mitch Morse is not a power center. Mitch Morse is not a grinded out road grading center. It's not what he is. Mitch Morse plays incredibly well in space. He is very smart. He doesn't get pushed back in the pass game. Josh Allen has had very, very stable pockets for a lot of the year. 
there are times when I wonder if Josh Allen might be a little too calm in the pocket this year. He's literally standing flat-footed just going, there's a receiver, and I'm just going to go over here and make some ramen. And made some ramen. It's gonna be great. And I'm like, well, I'm sitting there, like my wife is yelling at throw he, the ball. He is he is very flat footed back there sometimes. Yeah. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's just he doesn't freak the heck out every time he drops back because he doesn't think that Bodine and Groy are gonna get shoved into his apartment while he's back there in the pocket. So making ramen. Making ramen. So I don't think Mitch Morse really gets the credit he should get. Now I will say with a caveat, Brian Dable needs to stop going heavy power personnel and running directly behind Mitch Morse. That's not what Mitch Morse is. Mitch Morse got knocked back in the power running game a couple times on the goal line in a short yardage, and that's not his fault because that's not who he is. That's never been who he's been advertised as being. Mitch Morse is not a power center. Let's stop stacking the box, bringing literally everyone in, bringing two heavy men in front of Mitch Morse and having him get knocked back and they go, what the heck, Mitch? What are you doing? Mitch Morse is looking around going, what did you think I was when you made me the highest paid center in football? Did you think that's who I was? Because I've never been that. But he plays extremely well in space. Please, let's run some more screens. Let's get him out on the edge and let's have him do the things he does. You know one of the things he does really well? That power sweep with Josh Allen that everyone hates, that happens to be one of Mitch Morse's best plays. Run the Wildcat. Run the Wildcat and move Mitch Morse around. That sounds great to me. I'm good with that. Chan Gailey would be all over that. Chan Gailey would love Mitch Morse. Chan Gailey would go, it's a tough game for tough people. <laughs> this is a tough game for tough people. <laughs> Mitch Morse, my favorite player on this team. So Mitch Morse is my unsung hero. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and take a break. We will be right back with you to talk about the narratives following the previous game and then previewing the Cleveland matchup. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of you two co-hosts, Nick Bat. I'm Bruce Nolan. <laughs> and uh, we will go ahead and shift gears now. We've given out our midseason awards. We also have another thing to do before we talk about the narratives coming out of the Washington Redskins victory. And that is... We have some reviews on the iTunes Buffalo Rumblings for Buffalo Bills fans podcast page. So, Bruce, why don't you go ahead and hit us with one of these? I have Montana Bills backer who left this review four hours ago. <laughs> Nick and Nolan do a great job taking a deep dive at stats, formations, inner workings of the team. I really like Bruce's perspective. Top two Buffalo Rumblings pods keep up the good work. Really love CTW and Blitz Bills too. I do too, Montana Bills backer. And might I add, you are from my favorite part of the country. I absolutely love Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming. That's that's like that's where I want to retire. That's because there's no people there. That's exactly why that is. <laughs> there's no people there, and I love it. I, I love how few people there are. Zeus Lizard also left us a review. Very kind. Five stars says he loves the pod. He shared his own story about how whenever he sees people who have Bill's attire on, that he'll say go Bill's to him, like how you talked about your, you know, your upbringing and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he congratulated me on the birth of my Muppet. I will take that as a compliment. And uh, thanks you much, Zeus Lizard. Oh, we have one last review. Go ahead. This one said, my shift key is broke in all caps, <laughs> which is absolutely riotous, by the way. Well done on your username. He put N and N in the title, so I knew it was about us. A solid intersection of intelligent and entertaining analysis of the soul-sucking disease that is being a Bills fan. Mm. That, I think, sums up 
everything that I've ever wanted to be on this pod. Yep. I have wanted to be an intersection of intelligence and entertainment. And I've wanted to say, yeah, you know what? All our souls are being sucked out by this. But let's just love each other as we're losing our souls. We're the uh, the balm, the salve for that wound, right? And we're probably the off-brand version of it. Oh, we're for not sure. Neosporin. No, 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 no. no, no. no, no. We're we're quick the, brand. Yeah, yeah, quick brand. Right, right, right. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Not a sponsor of the podcast. Not a sponsor. Not a friend of the pod. Okay. Well, again, if you like what Bruce and I are doing, please head over to the iTunes Store. Leave us a five-star review. We will shout you out. And if you do it in old old English or Middle English, that will be even better. Okay. Okay. All right. So, narratives coming out of the Buffalo Bills victory over the Washington Redskins this past week. We've already spoken about Ed Oliver, Jordan Phillips, the run deed. Do you have anything you want to add to that, or do we kind of cover it? No, we I think we covered it. Okay. So... Okay, so there's only a couple of things. They're all on offense. These are your these are your perspectives on the narratives coming out, right? Singletary, Dable, and Beasley. So do you where do you want to start with that? Who's who's how how can we talk about this in a way that it, like it, it makes logical sense? One goes to the next. Let's start with Dable. Okay, that makes sense. So more I mentioned on Twitter. There's more play calling. There's more play calling criticism. Yeah. There's more upsetness about the play calling. And earlier in the year, I said it was probably unfair. And the last two weeks, I've said it's probably fair. Now, let's not go overboard. No one's. I'm not saying fire Brian Dable. If you're listening to this and you're thinking we should fire Brian Dable, you need to you need to calm down. Like Taylor Swift is calling and telling you you need to calm down. And I I do not want to disrupt the progress that Josh Allen has very very clearly made. But Brian Dable needs to understand that one of the things he wants to do offensively is he wants to be New England. He wants to be whatever it is that you need to be in order to win that game. Week in, week out. Right. Different d- different every week. Which is great. If you can do everything. This offense cannot do everything. There are some things this offense can do. I think that really it's a binary. From a workflow standpoint, you look at this and go, okay, What types of things will beat the team that we're playing? The next question is, can I do those things? (laughs) And so, well, it's kind of like it's the polar opposite of Rick Dennison, right? Because Rick Dennison would say, this is who I am. We're going to do this. And then you face a team and you say, is that going to work against this team? And Rick Dennison would say, don't care. Don't care. (laughs) This is what I do. This is what we are going to do. But with Brian Dable, it's like, well, you know, I think... I think this is what it takes to beat this team, so we're going to do this thing. Never stopping to ask himself, can we do that? Are we good at that thing? I mentioned this with Mitch Morse. We are not a three tight end, pack them in, beat you over the head power team. So if that's what it takes to win the game, we need to do find a different way to win. And that's not who we are, especially not against a team like the Redskins, who happens to have the strength of their team as their defensive front. So I I don't understand how Dable could have looked at the Redskins and come away with two conclusions. Number one, they're weak right there in the middle. That's not right. And number two... We can totally take them. Yeah. Also not right. I, I did have, I mean, we're laughing about this. It's easy because we won the game, I think. Yeah. It's, it's it's a little lighthearted. But it, it's, I mean, it is a problem. If we had lost this game, this wouldn't be a fun discussion. It would be very frustrating that we turned the ball over on downs in those in those, in those cases. Yes. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I did a tweet, and I think um, this is a sentiment that you're, that you're describing, which was something along the lines of, 
I don't want to say like Frank Gore shouldn't do what Frank Gore has always been doing. I'm not necessarily opposed to that run play in certain circumstances. But when you force the issue and it's not happening, it is like a lack of comprehension about what your strengths are. Yeah. And, and, and what their weaknesses are. Yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's concerning. Yeah. That's a reasonable concern. So th- I think there is some discussion about his short yardage and goal line stuff because I think fundamentally he misunderstands what we do. In addition, I made the comment on Twitter that I think Josh Allen is markedly better in the zone read game than he is in the power game. I think the zone read for Josh Allen works a lot better than the power running game for because he can slide in the zone read game. The idea being that if the numbers aren't right for him to have enough room to get out there and then slide, he won't take the ball. Which alleviates some of the Josh Allen fumbling problems. If Josh Allen has a fumbling problem, you know what helps with that? Not having him get tackled. Do you know how you can run Josh Allen and not have him get tackled? Run the zone read. So I would much rather in short yardage plays see a zone read out of a spread formation than see a power run with Josh Allen. I'm not saying those those plays are always bad. I'm saying from a preference standpoint, that would be my preference. And Dable doesn't seem to have that same preference, which is why I get upset because, you know, I want everyone to be like me. You know, and we have to remember, too, just for what it's worth, if, if, if this if this jogs anybody's memory about a previous feeling that they've had, we have been complaining about the lack of passing in our offense for, I mean, what feels like eons with our offensive coordinators, probably since Bledsoe, really. We have been complaining that we're not passing enough. Maybe with Chan, at times we were satisfied. Dable puts the ball in the air a lot. I think we lead the league in first down pass plays. And so, I mean, be just just be careful what you care, what you what you complain about. You know what I mean? Sure, the, I, some criticism is warranted. Yeah. but let's not go overboard here. Yeah. I don't want to fire Brian Dable at this point. Here's I have the, no interest in here, firing here's, Brian Dable. Here's my two cents on firing Dable. Okay, and people are definitely saying this. This is this is a this is a sentiment that exists. Are there significant issues? Yes, there are. We all agree with that. There are things that are not happening on offense, whether they're Dable's fault or otherwise. Okay, whatever it may be. Here is the other side of that coin. If we fire Dable, no matter what direction we go, whether you bring in somebody else, whether you promote Ken Dorsey, whether you would, no matter what you do at this point, halfway through this season, okay, is any change that you make going to make going to be an improvement? Going to do more for the offense than it currently does? We're six and two. I I posit probably not. The only reasonable replacement. Is Ken Dorsey? Do do you think Ken Dorsey is going to come in and he's going to be markedly better than Brian Dable? Not just markedly better, but markedly better in the play calling, while also not suffering any of the development issues that might arise when you change an offensive coordinator midstream. Because offensive offensive play calling is not the only thing an offensive coordinator does. No, and Andrew Andrew taking away Josh Allen's quarterback coach. Yeah. I, it do- and you're adding more things to the quarterback's coach plate so that he might not be able to devote the appropriate amount of time to the previously important tasks of a quarterback's coach. Yeah, it is it is not a net positive to fire Brian Dable in any way. Do you want to go back to David Culley? Because this is how you go back to David <laughs> Yeah, really. Do you I'm want sure, I think receivers he's, coast I, I, again? Because this is how you get there. I think he's available. I think he's available. 
Is he really? I thought he was coaching wide receivers for somebody now. I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay. All right, cool. It was, it was a, we were dragging him. I don't know. <laughs> we, we, we weren't being, it wasn't the kindest moment of our conversation about David Cully. So, although, you know, again, not entirely unwarranted. So you want to talk about D- Beasley or, da- or um, Singletary? After Singletary. Dinner? Okay, Singletary. What, what, I mean, everybody's singing Singletary's praises. Mm-hmm. Everybody's saying, this is what we were talking about. This is why you need to go to him. Is that, is this, is this the new normal? Is this what we do moving forward? Singletary clearly has gifts that can help this offense. And I would make an argument that if we're going to have an offense that only throws the ball 20 to 25 times, which we're not. We only, I mean, he only threw the ball 20 times this particular game, but that has not been the norm this year. I made a comment last week that one of the ways you speed up a quarterback's development is by not having him throw the ball 20 times a game. If every single game looked like this, as far as passing attempts, I would be all over Brian Dable for not allowing Josh Allen to throw his way to development. But if we're going to have a game plan that's like that, Singletary needs to get a lot of touches because you're limiting your ability to have explosive plays when you only throw the ball 20 times. Well, the person who can give you explosive plays is Devin Singletary. But allow me to make a caveat with this. Devin Singletary is not explosive. This is really sticking in your this craw. This really sticks in my craw. You know what really grinds my gears? Who was De- it that said it? One of the commentators, right? Yeah, the one that they called him fast. Yeah. Okay. So Devin, let's talk about what Devin Singletary is. Devin Singletary is not fast. Devin Singletary slippery. is not explosive. He is slippery. He is agile, and he has great balance. Yeah, incredible balance. And those two things are what make him special. But let's not let's let's make words yeah, matter. Yeah, you know what it is. I think it's he he shook thirty one in a phone booth at the line of he, the man has a family. Devin, good God, please! It was beautiful. It was, it was so it was, beautiful. It was beautiful and devastating, and it was it was seeing something holy. It's like when it you see gorgeous. when you see the angels in the scripture and you cry because it's it's terrifying it's and beautiful. It's terrifying and beautiful all at once. The clouds opened up. I heard oh, yeah. the beams the, yeah, came down he, on the field. Yeah, it was it was devastating what he did to that man. And I think people easily will say, oh, well, the reason he did that is because he moved right and left so quick, right? So he's fast or whatever. It's not- But it's that's not, not what explosivity no, means. No, 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 it's not. It's right. so not there right. are specific metrics that judge speed, explosion, and agility. Um, if, if you guys aren't following Math Bomb, at Math Bomb on Twitter, he does the RAS scores every year for oh, draft yeah, classes. Yeah, yeah. Kent, is his name uh, relative athletic score? Yeah, and it's 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 wonderful because it really helps to you to, to to wrap your heads around this thing. There are certain things that measure speed, certain things that measure explosion, things like long jump, broad jump. These things measure explosion, lower body explosion. It's an acceleration metric. How quickly can I get from minimum speed to maximum speed? All right? How much explosion do I have? Devin Singletary is not an overly explosive player. His, he is, however, an incredibly agile player. His his RAS was pretty bad, right? Yes. My comp for well, him you, has always been Devonta Freeman. Your your comment about running back was you don't need an athlete anyways. No. You need vision and contact I need vision balance. and contact And balance. there is no there is no combine drill currently where they hit you with 15-pound pillows yeah, I don't and try to NFL, knock you over. <laughs> I don't think the NFLPA would sign up for that. Yeah, much. right. But... He, the reason I like Singletary, despite a bad relative athletic score, is because I think 
he's has vision and contact balance. And I, I harped on those traits over and over and over again in the offseason. And we're seeing my comp has always been Devonta Freeman. He's not LaShawn McCoy. He's not Barry Sanders. I saw a Barry Sanders comparison. What? He it's it's that he loses people in short space. That's what it is. He but he doesn't accelerate away from it. Right. He gets you off balance or committed to the wrong side of his body, and then he can very quickly go to the other side. But he's not going to leave you in the dust. And he doesn't have the long speed. If you're if you're looking, well, you know what we need is what we need is we need fifty yard plays. We need to go to Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary will very likely go a a big part of his career without a 50 60 yard run. Yeah. He's not Mike Gillisley. No. That was the last guy I can remember us really having who was just like a burner in it's the back straight line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't have the straight line speed. Devin Singletary will get caught from behind a lot. And that's okay. Travis Henry got caught from behind a lot. Now Travis Henry was a lot bigger then, but Devonta Freeman gets caught from. But if you can get someone, when I say explosive plays, I mean something that was supposed to go for four yards ends up going for ten yards. Devin Singletary is a great running back and a natural runner, but he's not this bell cow twenty five yard twenty five carries a game. He can do everything kind of player. He can't do everything. I just mentioned a bunch of things he can't do, but. If we're only going to target the ball 20 times a game, give me a Devin Singletary screen. I just said vision is one of the most important traits. You know what helps on screen passes? Vision. The ability to set up your blockers to understand angles. Fred Jackson was a great screen player. Fred Jackson was at his best with Chan Gailey, who was a psychotic screen maniacal monster in the lab with the whiteboard drawing up screens for Fitzpatrick. I'm not saying Devin Singletary is Fred Jackson. I'm saying that vision is similar and we should use him for what he's doing. The fact that we were able to get offense generated while only throwing the ball 20 times is a testament to Devin Singletary and he should be applauded for it. And really, if we're going to have that, Devin Singleton needs to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So the only issue, the only the, the whole thing we're getting at here is just understand and describe Devin Singletary correctly. And, and don't know don't, what he is. don't get don't, don't get wrapped up in some of the easy descriptions and assign the platitudes of any good running back to Devin Singletary. What I don't want is I don't want us to set unreasonable expectations for the guy. If you tell me he's Barry Sanders, are you kidding me? Like, I mean, you can't he's not even LaShawn McCoy. He's a he's a good player. And I'm excited for Devin Singletary. I think I, I think he's a good player. When we drafted him, I specifically said, I have no problem with Devin Singletary. I gave the pick an F because I didn't want to run him back in the third round. And I specifically said, I like Devin Singletary. And, and then I you, still like him. You also said it would become, I think, a B if we cut Shady McCoy, which we wound up which doing. Which we did. So now it's a B. There you go. So Devin Singletary is a good player. And I like Devin Singletary. But let's not set the kid up for disappointment in the fans' eyes by trying to make him out to be something he's not. Right. Let's just appreciate the fact that he he's an added element to the offense that we can be excited that we have. All right, awesome. Beasley, uh, the Beasley touchdown. He's on a streak. Yeah, he's on three a streak. Touchdowns in three three games in a row with a touchdown pass. He's all of a sudden he's a red zone guy. So the smallest red zone wide receiver you've ever seen. I, that's what I want to talk about. Oh, okay, good. Well, being I'm glad successful I said it. in the red zone <laughs> is not. This is this this frustrates me. Right, these these cliches kind of frustrate me. Um, well, we have a big running back. He's going to be good in the red zone. A big you know, tight end is going to be good in the red zone. Right. Oh, you know, Brandon Jacobs was a great example of this. Remember Brandon Jacobs? Like six, oh, four, yeah, two, yeah, yeah. Running back. Yeah, kind of. He didn't okay. run like his frame at all, though. Yeah. yeah he, okay, so that's my example. Everyone thought because he was big, therefore he was a good 
goal line running back. Oh, you know, bring him in for goal line short yardage. That's not what Brandon. No, no, that's not how that worked at all. Legarrette Blunt was very similar. That that's just because he was big didn't mean he was a good he wasn't goal line a, player. Just because he was big doesn't mean he was a bruiser. Right, and also being a bruiser isn't what being a goal line running back's about. And being big and going up for fade routes is not what being a good red zone receiver is about either. Now it's a nice trait to have, but. You're talking about someone who you're really excited about being successful on a really, really low percentage play. Fade routes on the goal line drive me bonkers because they're a really low percentage play. So if you get someone who's really good at the really low percentage play, it's just a slightly better low percentage play. But really, your ability is about separating in short areas. If you can get open in the red zone, that's huge because there's not a lot of space to work with. And people have a tendency to get really tight. On man coverage. And who has a reputation for getting open when there's not a lot of space? Cole Beasley. So I think we need to take a second and appreciate the fact that this this is a good example of why we shouldn't be wrapped into that narrative. But also, Cole Beasley needs more targets, man. Cole Beasley should not be getting two targets when John Brown's getting seven. If we have 20 targets to divvy up, I want John Brown getting the plurality. And then in order, I want John Brown, Cole Beasley... Devin Singletary, everyone else, in that order. Are the routes that Beasley is running in this offense right now, is he running his bread and butter routes? Because it seems to me that he's running, he's not running shifty routes. He's running drags. He is sometimes, and he's actually running a little bit deeper routes than he ever ran with the Cowboys, which I think, based on Cole Beasley's comments this offseason, I think he would prefer, because I think one of the things he got upset about in Dallas was, we're only going to have you run a five-yard in or a pivot route, or something like that. And don't get wrong, he can do those things. That's he right. can do those things really well. But that doesn't. that's not all he does. Cole Beasley can separate at the point of break. And John Brown can do that too. And he also has the, the separation long speed over you know deeper routes and, and drags and things like that. But Cole Beasley needs to be the number two targeted person on this team by a notable stretch every game. And I I don't see why he's not. And so I think he needs to be part of a bigger part of this offense, especially if we're only going to throw the ball 20 times. Four of them should not go to Knox and Croft. Okay. I, I, I don't know what to think. I mean, I'm not that surprised. I guess I'm simultaneously surprised. So, Dable's coming from New England, right? And so much of what we said is Dable wants to be New England. David Dable wants to be New England, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, New England uses the tight ends, or at least they have, as significant portions a lot. So I'm not surprised that they're forcing the issue to the tight end. But they also use Julian Edelman a ton, and Wes Welker prior to that, and Danny Amendola when he was there in a similar role. And it's just like we haven't found the sweet spot to use our version of that yet. I think that the New England tight end thing is overblown. I really do. Because... People forget about what that offense looked like before Gronk and Aaron Hernandez. The tight end revolution recently came about through them running 12 personnel with Aaron Hernandez and Gronk and then shifting from wide sets to tight sets with the same personnel grouping. That's, in a nutshell, what brought on this tight end revolution. But before that, it was David Givens and Dion Branch were their, were their top targets. And after... And after Gronk is down now, they barely go to the tight ends. So it's not like Dable doesn't understand how to not go to the tight ends. It's not like he has that 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 uh, 
inability to do it. Uh, I can't go without the tight ends. I need I need well, a tight end. I mean, to be fair, I, he's he was there twice, right? He was in yeah. New England for two stints. So I guess that 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 does you know that does help. But you know, if he was only there during the years when Gronk was there, I mean, he 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 probably would have been. That would have been McDaniel's offense. And Dable's a tight ends coach by trade. Yeah. So there is that to consider yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. But you, you got to play with the hand you're dealt. And, you know, Dawson Knox is, is a fine player and everything. But if you have a screen a, a screen pass to someone who's not a running back, are you wanting to throw that to Dawson Knox or do you want to throw that to Cole Beasley? Yeah. I have a question to you about... Um Dawson Knox, it just because this is something we talked about a lot, especially in the offseason, about what can players develop and how can they, you know, what should we expect to see out of them? Can you get better hands? Can yes. you can you get more reliable hands yes. year over year? Yes. Receivers, tight ends, running backs. Mm-hmm. That gives me hope. That's ha- that makes me happy because that's that's our issue with Dawson Knox is he is the reliability. He's open. One he the, gets open. He, he gets the and the ball is on him. You know. One of the reasons I get I, I, I'm okay with Dawson Knox is you got to remember he's still new to the tight end position. This idea that I'm going to contort my body in a strange angle and catch the ball out of the air being thrown by Josh Allen, who mind you, catching passes from Josh Allen is different. Beasley drops them than, than than catching them from other people. We've seen him bounce. Josh Allen, yeah, will he will throw it a split second too late. But at about you know at about five miles an hour on the ball, and it it's just different. Catching it from Matt Barkley is not the same. Barkley will throw it earlier and softer. Allen will throw it later and harder. That's just the way it is. And Dawson Knox knows this better as any better than anybody. One of Josh Allen's best throws a couple weeks ago was a smidge too late, thrown in between two defenders a little bit late, and on an absolute frozen rope. And it's just. Dawson Knox is going to require some development. And I don't think we should throw in the towel on Dawson Knox. I think that his hands can still get better. All right. Let's take another break. This will be a quick one. And then we will be back. We'll talk about the Cleveland Browns game coming up. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Nick and Nolan Show, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. And along with me, I'm Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. Okay. So we are coming to Cleveland again. Just a reminder, head over to the Cleveland Bills Backers Facebook page. Follow the Cleveland Bills Backers on Twitter so you keep up with all of the awesome photos and you get all of the information about what is going on where. This weekend, we are tailgating with Pinto Ron at the Muni lot in Section D1. And also, we are doing an awesome Saturday night party at the Southern Tier Brewing Company. Uh, And we have reached out to the beat reporters like Matt Perino, Marcel Louis-Jacques, Sal Capaccio. I have no idea if all these people are coming some of them have said i've already said yes some of them we haven't heard back from yet but all of these guys that you guys follow and read and and uh, like matt matthew fairburn and joe Vascalia, tim graham we don't know if these guys are going to be here but some of them are matt perino has said he's coming for sure from newyorkupstate.com and so uh, come out with us it's going to be a great time 6 p.m to 11 p.m at southern tier brewing in downtown cleveland you said all the people that the Bills fans like. That's the reason why I won't be there. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, right. We don't want to. We don't want that guy. Seat, seats taken. Right. Seats taken. Yeah. Okay. So this this Cleveland game is a bit of a, a bit of a head scratcher. We still at two. We started out at three point underdogs. It went to two point five. Is it still two point five? As far as I know, yeah. Yeah. So the Bills are traveling. The six and two Bills are traveling to Cleveland to play the two and six Browns and are an underdog. Now the home team gets three points by default, so that would put us at you know almost neutral, almost a pick'em game. This scares me for a couple of reasons. 
one, they are good at running the ball with Nick Chubb out of Georgia. And we have had issues with guys running on us, you know? Um, yeah, if we have issues with Adrian Peterson, Nick Chubb might... Uh, have a day. Might have a day. Now, to be fair they are it's it's interesting the browns offensive line has a lot of woes but they are they're they're having a decent they're having a decent rush offense this year with nick chubb so i guess you kind of have to wait and see what really comes but our defense can't stop anybody I mean, we're getting run over by the dolphins and the eagles and now adrian peterson late in his career i mean it's not it's not looking great so that's an issue that scares me then who was the other team that beat us the worst this year it was the eagles right and the eagles beat us on beat us in in no short order because of how talented they are on offense right and our defense is talented as well but they they got the better of us um, a lot of it on the ground you know who else is really talented on offense the browns the browns so that's also it almost feels to me like a facsimile of the philly game that we're dealing with again only it's away and the browns are on fire not in a positive way. Like <laughs> no, someone Browns. set fire to the Berea building and everyone screaming yeah, at each other. Yeah, the Browns are not in a great place. You know, and it's interesting, too, because Baker Mayfield, he's a, he's a personality. His personality is an entity, right? Mm. And it's something to be taken into consideration. And I got the impression when he was at Oklahoma that maybe he plays better when he's angry. I think if that was the case, I think he would have been playing better the last couple of weeks. That's, well, that's you can put that's the hole to poke in this. It, it does worry me a little bit, and, and he's getting snippy with you know Tony Grossi, the reporter here. Now, to, to be fair, not everybody is going to know this. Tony Grossi has a bit of a reputation for being uh, instigative, you know, a little a bit. Jerk. Yeah, I mean Greg Williams, um, his his repu- this beat reporter for ESPN Cleveland, the radio station, literally his reputation preceded him to the extent that when Greg Williams was hired as the defensive coordinator, that Greg Williams went into the press conference and when Tony Grossi asked a question, he hadn't Greg Williams hadn't met any of the reporters yet. He said, "Are you Tony?" Just by the way the question was asked, because he was given a heads up that this guy's kind of a, you know, uh, whatever. So. Uh, he got under Baker Mayfield's skin by asking him if he was satisfied with a drive that came away with no points. Uh, now Baker Mayfield is dressing up like the the Home Alone burglars mixed with the guy who's selling watches on New York's on uh, in Manhattan out of his out of his trench coat jacket pockets, and uh, it's not, it's not great in Cleveland. Things are really falling apart here, and I think that's really the key to this game. The key to this game is you very wisely discussed this when we were talking about schedule predictions. And you said, we hope that by the time that we play Cleveland, Cleveland is a tire fire. Because if Cleveland's rolling and everything's great, they'll just, they'll, it'll be a problem. But well, by for, the time we get there, it could be bad. It's so much personality in that room. There are so many person. I've been, this is literally, I have been saying, I, you have had some really great calls on, on personnel and predictions. I, We'll hang my hat a little bit on calling that Cleveland, their offensive line issues, too many personalities, and Freddie Kitchens as an unknown commodity as a head coach are things that gave me huge pause when other people were literally picking at them to go to the AFC Championship game or the Super Bowl. Ball's not going to spike itself, dude. Ball's not going to spike itself. Yeah. Spike that so, ball, Nick. I, I will take that. And it's, these are literally things that have come true. I mean, 
you know what Odell Beckham Jr. is saying what I, I can't get a ball I, he's complaining that he audibly that he can't get the ball thrown his way he's being him and you know here's I it was a fan who said this on Twitter but it is so it is so articulate to me OBJ and Jarvis Landry were wearing like what some kind of customized cleats last week they're two and five right and they were told by the league they literally had to change their shoes at halftime or they wouldn't be able to come back out. No, I understand the no fun league and all that, but like you are a two and five football team. Why are you doing this diva bullshit? Like, why is this even part of what you know what I mean? Like, just I, I, I it doesn't matter. It doesn't make sense to me. You were right. The tire fire is here. And what we have to do is we have to stomp on their throats while they're down. If we get out to a lead, so we are both friends with a lot of Browns fans. And, oh yeah, and one because we live here, and one of the one of the Browns fans that I'm that I'm really close to, he he and I were were talking about this game, and I said I'm I'm legitimately concerned because I I don't think it's at all unreasonable. Vegas has you favored for a reason. It's because this is a facsimile of the Philly game. It really is, and. He said the issue is though that we you guys are going to get up and as soon as you get up we abandon the run. So if they if they cool. if, do that. Yeah, if they if they stay close they may nick chub us to death by and 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 just make it a very quick game by keeping them on the ground. We have to hope that the second half run defense from Washington shows up yeah. all game. Yeah, that was awesome. That would be great. What did you know what we change? Is it was it just heavy no, box? There was, there was absolutely no scheme change at all. Wasn't I thought Absolutely it was not. I thought it was an eight man box was pretty it, much what we changed. It, there was really nothing different. Lorenzo Alexander was asked this question and he was like, "We really didn't change anything." He goes, um, "We didn't abandon our gaps. We stayed in them, and the linebackers stayed in theirs, and we tackled, <laughs> and that was the secret." Well, most of the time, more of that. Please. Run defense. Most of the time, run defense is a lot less sexy than we want it to be. It's not some crazy. You know, concoction that you can draw up that's going to be better with the run defense. It's simply people not doing their jobs and not staying where they're supposed to stay. And especially when you have a defense that is not overly exotic, this defense is not exotic. No, 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 no. And so because it's not exotic, there's no hard swings to the left and hard swings to the right to accommodate for things. I don't think Baker Mayfield is going to drop back to pass and go, I have never seen this before in my entire life. What happens is the, one of the reasons why the Bills have a tendency to perform better on defense against bad teams and perform worse on defense against good teams, that's statistically the way it's been during the Sean McDermott era, is because bad teams, we're not tricking them. They just don't have the horses. Yeah, we're just beating them individually. Yeah, we don't have the ho- they don't have the horses to out-execute us because they, they need us to make a mistake. With good teams, they don't need us to make mistakes to beat us. They just have better players. And that's the problem with the Cleveland game. The Cleveland game is they they have good players. Now, their good players might be mutinying against their quarterback. There's, you know, there are rumors and rumblings that Jarvis Landry called a timeout specifically to get Odell Beckham back on the field because he was mad that Odell Beckham wasn't on the field. And there's a fourth down play that the Cleveland runs with the game on the line that is one of the worst designed plays I have ever seen in my entire life that has your best player running a fade route from the slot and Baker Mayfield doesn't even look at him. 
Well, then, fourth and four. Then there's the fourth down play where you don't know if Freddie Kitchens called it, if he thought it was third down, or Baker Mayfield changed the play weeks ago. Yeah, the, it was quarterback draw. Was. Quarterback draw. It, this is a Freddie Kitchens issue. And the problem is, when it's a Freddie Kitchens issue, if something just clicks one week, the Browns can drop 45 on you. And I'm hoping it doesn't happen this week because the Browns are talented, very talented. Miles Garrett is a problem. Joby is a problem. Denzel Ward might not be able to have John Brown just shake him. Denzel, if I was creating a corner to take on John Brown, he would look like Denzel Ward. I think Cole Beasley is going to be extremely important to this game. Because I don't think you're going to be able to go, go at Denzel Ward 10 targets a game. The way that Josh Allen goes, well, you know, I'm in trouble. Where's John Brown? I don't think that's going to work. Denzel Ward was created by God to defend John Brown. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I. It's not a good matchup. It really it's is. It's not. It's really not a good matchup. It is all about, is this team devolving to the extent that they just don't, they don't do anything to their best, that they don't do anything to their capacity. If bad Josh Allen shows up again, we'll lose this game. Yeah. To me, I mean, we. if you go through this, if you go through this situation by situation, unit by unit, they outmatch us. Their defense is has the appropriate strengths to stop our offense's strengths. Their offensive weakness is pass protection. Our defensive strength is not pass rush, right? So the thing that sinks their battleship all the time is that Baker has no time. Well, we could... we. We've had good games where we've gotten pressure in multiple sacks. That that could happen. It also doesn't not guaranteed because that is not our strong suit. And Sean McDermott is not. He he will blitz. He ha, we have several sacks this season off of blitzes, but he is sparing. And he's much more willing to do that in third and long, which you won't get to if Mick Chubb picks up five yards carry. Yeah. If if it's if every single third down is third and two, third and three, you are not going to see the Bills blitz a lot. They're going to run blitz because that's what we do. We run blitz with Hyde and Poyer like 75% of the time, it seems. But we are not going to be going after Baker Mayfield with exotic blitzes on the regular if it's not third and long. The key to stopping Baker Mayfield is to force him to hold the ball. You have to take away Baker Mayfield's first read and make him hold the ball because he gets jittery. He gets jittery when he can't make quick binary decisions. I really thought the Cleveland offense this year was going to be predicated on a lot of RPO, which creates easy binaries for the quarterback. Hand this ball off, pull it and throw. And that's not what has happened. Freddie Kitchens' offense, quite frankly, looks like a tire fire to me. I've watched a lot of Cleveland games. I have friends and employees who are Cleveland fans, and I've talked about them, talked to them about it, and no one has any idea what Freddie is doing. Well, it some of the tape looks like his players don't know what they're doing. It's bad, dude, and we need it to continue to be bad. If they if they put it together, if this is the week they put it together, and they look back at their year and go, you know, it was all a tire fire until we ran into Buffalo, we'll get stomped. But if Baker Mayfield drops back to pass looks and we correctly have disguised the coverage to the point where he goes uh, is that is 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 this cover 1 or is this cover 2 i don't 
I don't know what this is quite yet. And he holds it and then misses his first read. Oh, yeah. Now we're now we're cooking with Crisco because now he's going to start to get jittery and he starts to feel the rush. And then our defensive line can get home. But if he's just playing pitch and catch with Odell Beckham, if they decide that this is the week where the squeaky squeaky wheel gets the grease, if the, he pulls a Stephon Diggs on us and whines for a second and then comes back and gets 14 targets this game, I, I like Trey White. Odell Beckham is the most talented receiver I maybe I've ever seen. I, I, I think Trey White's a great player, but he better pack his bags because he's going to be traveling. If, if you put Odell Beckham on the left side and Levi Wallace lines up across from him, I don't care what play you have to change it to. You're changing it to that play to get Odell Beckham on Levi Wallace. And that's nothing to, not taking anything away from Levi Wallace. Well, Levi Wallace is going to have his hands full with Jarvis Landry. He's no joke. Unless Jarvis Landry's playing the slot and Taron Johnson gets him. Well, I don't know. I, I think that this game for us on defense is going to come down to how well do Hyde and Poyer disguise the coverages? Mm. And how well do the linebackers? I would imagine we're probably going to run a lot of zone. That's that's our right-handed work on defense. This is not an offense where we have to change that. We're not playing the Patriots where we have to give Tom Brady. Tom Brady has a certain kind of fit whenever we play man for some reason. Sean McDermott has it figured out. We're going to play zone, and it's going to depend on how well do the linebackers sit and cover their zones, and how well do Hyde and Poyer disguise coverage. I think that's fair. I think that I think that there might be a lot of man under because you're going to want Trey White to travel with Odell Beckham and you don't want them to put Odell Beckham in a position where putting him in motion puts him on a better matchup. All right. Well, if you had to call your shot, Bruce, we're going home with a W or no? Please don't yell at me. No, I don't think we are. Well, it's a bad matchup. I'm not shocked if we lose this game. I feel very similar to this game as I felt to the Philadelphia Eagles. I feel a little bit better because the Philadelphia Eagles are a better coach team. Oh, yeah, they're not but, a tire fire. But they're an underperforming, talented team. We have historically beaten teams we were supposed to beat this year. That's what's what happened. We beat teams that were less talented than us, and that's great. But every time we run into a team that was really talented and just underperforming, they found their mojo against the Bill. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, everybody. Thank you very much. We appreciate you listening. I am Nick Bat. You can find me on Twitter at N-I-C-K-B-A-T. I'm Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. Please go ahead and check out the Cleveland Bills backers Facebook and Twitter pages. We hope to see you at the party Saturday night. I will be there. And then the tailgate Sunday, I probably will not be at because I have an infant and I need to be home. And I'm going to watch the game from home there since it'll be on local television. And uh, yeah, let us know what you think of the show. Head over to iTunes, leave us a review. And before you make the trip down I-90 all the way from Buffalo to Cleveland this weekend, we just have one word of advice for you. I do the cha-cha like a sissy girl. I like a do the cha-cha.